0: Well, welcome to the well here at STSA. This is the Sunday after Easter, which is typically the least attended Sunday of the entire year. But the fact that you're sitting here, the fact that you're tuning in online for those who are watching at home, means that you got this thing figured out. Okay? Good for you that this is not uh, a desert wasteland, okay, on the weekend after Easter. Good for you that you're here in church, because what it shows is that you understand what the resurrection is all about. Okay, I talked about this um, for those who I prayed Easter with, with me in Arlington, but Easter resurrection is not the end of the story. It is only the beginning. And the fact that you're here today means that you get it. Because when, when Jesus first rose from the dead, for his disciples, the apostles, those who followed him, the resurrection wasn't the end of the story. Wasn't the end of the party. It wasn't like, okay, now back to normal life. Now back to your, your previous, uh, programming. This was just the beginning. And it should be the same thing for us. And that's why we're starting this series here today called World Changers. Because this Sunday, okay, the Sunday after Easter is typically known as, I kind of call it, the Now What Sunday. The Now What. Like, we did Holy Week. We did Good Friday. We did the prayers. We did the hymns, we did more hymns, we did readings, we did more hymns after the readings. Like we did everything that we were supposed to do. We did everything that the church told us to do. We were in church for like 5 million hours in one week. Now what? What comes next? Is there supposed to be any carryover? Like, is it supposed to be like Holy Week and Easter is just like a great week, enjoy it while you can, and then like back. So like the whole year is like this, and then Holy Week, and then back like this. Or is it supposed to be a straight line that continues up? Well, according to the video that we just saw, the answer is, it's not supposed to go back to the same. It is supposed to make a difference. That it is supposed to be a continual trend. And today, it's supposed to be different than a week ago, which is different than a week before that, and the line is supposed to continue to go up. I love what the video said, that Jesus didn't come for Easter for a celebration. He didn't come for a party. Like we think Easter, we're like, okay, you know, it's nice and the eggs and Christ is risen. It's like a good party. Well, that's not why Jesus came. It's not like, okay, I'll show up on Easter. Okay, we'll do the thing and then I'll see you on Christmas. Okay, don't forget like the No, Jesus didn't come for a celebration. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, as I said in the video, the most important event in human history, ushered in a new era of history for his disciples, for his followers, and for all of us. The resurrection ushered in an era of power, of joy, of courage, of victory. And life is not supposed to be the same. And you just look at the guys who followed him in the first go around, okay, 2,000 years ago, and you can see that. And that's why I say this, okay, what the video said a minute ago is that Jesus didn't come back for a celebration. He came back with marching orders. He came back with a message. He came back to tell us that our life will never be the same ever again. Best example to illustrate this is St. Peter. St. Peter is the best example that what you can see before and after the resurrection. And I like St. Peter. I don't know anyone who doesn't like St. Peter. You should find St. Peter very relatable because what St. Peter was in intention versus in reality, I think we can all relate with. Because in intention, no one is better than Peter. Peter was the guy who said, Lord, I'm gonna follow you. You got the words of life. You are Christ, the Son of the Living God. And even if, even if all these losers, even if all these other losers deny you, I will never deny you. I'll die with you. Peter, intention, okay, motivation, his heart, A plus. But we know the story is that Peter, with the best of intentions, Jesus said to him, He said, Hey Peter. Probably, I think Jesus probably had a smile on his face a little bit. He said, Hey, Peter. You have great intentions, but you know before the day is over, you're going to deny me three times. And one time will be to a little girl who said, you're with him. Peter was bold in intention, but Peter was not so much so when it comes to the actions. But that all changed after the resurrection. After Jesus rose, everything changed in Peter, which is why St. Peter, after he met Jesus and Jesus came to him and said, okay, Peter, you did the denying thing. That's okay. We'll let it go. I'm still with you. You're still with me. Let's go. We got a mission to do. Peter... One time, okay, where he was scared in front of a little girl, okay, he was scared to say he was with Christ, stood in front of a large crowd on the day of Pentecost, thousands of people from all over, people who were not necessarily a fan of Jesus. And he stood and boldly proclaimed, you guys are a corrupt generation. You guys have sinned. You wrongly crucified the Lord of glory, even though he did nothing wrong. St. Peter didn't care if they liked him. St. Peter didn't care if they were going to kill him. St. Peter didn't care about politically correct. St. Peter spoke the truth, told him, repent, turn from your sins. And we know that 3,000 people were baptized that day. St. Peter, not just on the day of Pentecost, but there's a story that we're going to look at right now from Acts chapter 3, about one time when St. Peter met a man who was lame from his birth, man who was lame from birth. And I remember when I used to read this story and say, a man lame from birth, I know people like that. My dad, okay, a lot of dads are lame from their birth. You may say, my dad is not that kind of lame from birth, a different kind of lame from birth. Okay, Acts chapter three, verse two says, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple. So this kind of lame means a man who is paralyzed. From the day he was born, he laid by the gate. St. Peter walks by him and says to him, One thing that you would never say to a lame person is what? If you see a person, like you see someone who is handicapped or someone who's paralyzed, someone who can't move, you may say nice things, you may nice see you, God bless you, whatever it is. There's one thing you would never say to that person, which is what? What Peter says to him next. Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I, what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Saint Peter said, to the person that you would never say, rise up and walk to, he said, rise up and walk. And the cool thing about it is what he did after that. He didn't just say, rise up and walk. He said, rise up and walk. And then he took him by the hand and lifted him up. You know, if it was me, like if I want to tell someone, I believe a miracle can happen. I would say it, but I would have a little bit, like I'd have an out, I'd have an escape clause. So I would say, God is going to heal you. You're going to rise up and walk, pray about it, and hopefully it works out for you. And then I would walk away. And then if something didn't happen, I'd be like, well, he must not have prayed. So there's like it out. But he put his money where his mouth is. And this is pretty bold. Rise up and walk right now. And you're like, Peter, what if it doesn't work? But Peter believed. He didn't have a doubt and one, one, one shadow of a doubt. You rise up and walk right now. And it came through and the guy did. When this man started to rise up and walk in the name of Jesus, there's always a group of guys who were not happy with this. That was the, the Jewish leaders, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain, the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So they weren't happy that they were preaching Christ, and they're like, we got rid of the name of Jesus. That's why we crucified him. We don't like that name And we need you guys to stop doing that. They arrest them, they put them on trial and they question them. And the way trials worked back then is not like today. Okay, today you got a trial, you know the trial date, you get your lawyer, you prepare, you got all that stuff and you stand in front of the guy, question and then answer, things like that. Back in the day, the way a trial would work is they would grab you, they put you in the center and they would be lined up in a circle, not lined up in a circle, circled up in a circle all around you. So while you're standing there and someone shouts out a question here and then you answer and then someone over here and it's, it's very intimidating. Okay. As they're shouting, why are you? And he's, and they're standing there in the middle, but Peter and John with him weren't shaken. Verse eight, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, By him, this man stands here before you whole. And again, he could have just said, like if it was me and I'm surrounded by people who could take my life and want to kill me, I would say it was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that he stands here whole. But he had to stick him in the eye with it. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified. You and you and you and you and you. And I imagine him looking him straight in the eye and saying, whom you crucified. I just want to show you, I can't overstate the boldness and the courage of Peter as contrasted with who he was simply a few weeks before, before Jesus' death. You can't overstate the difference. It wasn't a subtle change. It was a night and day drastic difference. Now, here's the question that we want to discuss here in this series. St. Peter went from timid to bold, afraid to courageous, shy to strong, where did that transformation come from? Think about it. I know the answer seems obvious, but where did that transformation come from? It came from the resurrection, right? Like that's, it wasn't like he changed his diet, started working out, read a good book. What changed for St. Peter was the resurrection. And like, okay, this makes sense. Like if you see Jesus, if he spent three years with Jesus, And Jesus the whole time was predicting, like somebody predicts his own death and resurrection and pulls it off, you go with him. Jesus predicted exactly what would happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what they're going to do. And then it happened. And then he predicted that he would rise and he did. So you can imagine that seeing that, then all of a sudden, like, yeah, that's a game changer. And especially like we said in the beginning is when Jesus came back, he didn't just say, hurrah, hurrah, I'm back. He said, hurrah, I'm back. Now let's get to work. And as the father sent me, so I also send you. That's what we read here in John chapter 20. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus came back, predicted his own death and resurrection, pulled it off, all power has been given to me. And now I'm sending you. And I'm telling you to go stand in front of people and preach the gospel. I'm telling you to go as the same way the father sent me and I changed the world, I'm telling you to go change the world as well. And we can look at it and we can even say that the impact, like it worked what Jesus said, because the impact, don't don't misunderstand me right here. The impact that disciples had on the world was greater even than the impact Jesus had. Obviously their impact was because of him. So I'm not saying, but what I'm saying is the father sent Jesus, he made a difference. Jesus sent the disciples. They made a gigantic difference. They turned the world upside down. Now here's the thing. Stick with me here. It was the resurrection that changed the disciples and made them world changers. Agree? But what about us? Is our Jesus any less than their Jesus? Is our faith in the resurrection any less than their faith? Like why is it like we receive, said right there, receive the Holy Spirit. Don't we receive the same Holy Spirit? Do we receive the same Holy Spirit, or not the same Holy Spirit? Do we have the same faith in the resurrection? Like what, what's the difference in their faith and their Holy Spirit versus my faith and my Holy Spirit? The question I want you to ask yourself, is my faith in the resurrection the same as St. Peter's faith in the resurrection? What do you think? Is my faith in the resurrection the same as St. Peter's? I'll give you the answer to the question. The answer is it depends on how you define the word faith. If you define faith as a mental acknowledgement of a fact, then yes, our faith is the same. We Is anyone here who doubts Jesus rose from the dead? Like I believe 1,000% Jesus rose from the dead and so do you or else you would be wasting all your time with everything that you're doing. You'd be wasting your time praying, uh, uh, you'd be wasting your time praying at funerals. You'd be wasting your time uh, uh, coming here to the church. Your faith, if you define it as a mental acknowledgement, is no different than St. Peter's faith. What he believed about happening to Jesus is exactly what we believe. But maybe that's not the right definition of faith. Maybe faith means something different than a mental acknowledgement. I love this verse from Hebrews chapter 11, verse one and two. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. What is this faith? It's not a mental acknowledgement. It's something of substance. It's something of evidence. It's the evidence of things not seen. And then it says, by it, whatever it is, by it, The elders obtained a good testimony. Then he spends the rest of the chapter talking about the people who gained a good testimony. He talks about Abraham by faith and and Moses by faith and Noah by faith and the martyrs by faith. So my question for you today is what is this it? Is faith just a mental acknowledgement? I don't think so. Here's our key thought for today. Faith is not belief. Faith is not belief. Faith is behavior born out of belief. Do you see the difference? Faith is not belief. Faith has a belief component, but faith is behavior born out of belief. And I'll give you the example. I just told you a minute ago that after St. Paul talks about faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen by it, the elders obtained a good testimony, he gives a long list. Let's take Abraham. What made Abraham great? Was Abraham great because he mentally knew, theologically understood everything there is to know about God? Is that what made Abraham great? No, what made Abraham great is that one day he took his son and a knife, went up a mountain to slay him out of obedience because that was his faith. And if God said it, I do it. Abraham's faith was not here. Abraham's faith was not belief. It was behavior born out of belief. Noah, what made Noah so great is that he understood God and he believed in God more than me and you. No, what made Noah great is that he did the craziest thing ever done. He, in the middle of a desert, built a big football field-sized boat in the middle of a desert and said, it's going to rain so hard it's going to flood the earth. And that doesn't make any sense, but that's faith. It's not the belief that, oh yeah, it's going to rain one day. And he just sat. No, the faith is the behavior born out of the belief. The belief that it's going to God said this and the action that comes from it. Same with the martyrs. The martyrs were not great because they believed that God could stand with them and that God would, The martyrs were great because they walked willingly and gave their lives. It's not belief. It's behavior born out of belief. And did you know that there's always going to be a connection between your behavior and your belief? The two are always connected and linked together. For example, if you believe, let's say you're a dad, okay, you just lost your job, and you don't know how you're going to provide for your kids, your wife and your kids, and you believe that your kids are going to starve to death, you don't think that belief is gonna affect your behavior? You don't think that's gonna change the way either you look for a job, or if we're honest, you think that your kids are gonna starve to death, you might do some things that you didn't think you would do otherwise, because if that's your belief. If you're a student and you think to yourself, if I get an F on this test, it's the end of my life. It's the end of the world. That belief will impact the way I behave. If you're single and you say, I will never be happy in life unless I'm with him or with her. That's your belief. You know what? That's going to affect the way that you behave because behavior is always born out of belief. What if your belief is that God sent his only begotten son into the world, lived on this earth for 33 years, died sinless, buried in a tomb, rose from the dead on the third day and is now alive and is with me. And What if your belief is that now he's not only with me and with you, but he said the same way the father sent me, I'm sending you. So the father sent me to a city called Jerusalem. I took my disciples, I sent them all around the Mediterranean rim. I sent them to Greece and I sent them to Italy and I sent them to, to North Africa and I sent them all around, even to parts of Asia. And now the same way the father sent me Jerusalem, I sent those guys Mediterranean, now sending you guys to Leesburg, to Arlington, to McLean, to Fairfax, to Washington, D.C., to wherever city it is that you're from, that you're watching. That belief, if we truly have that belief, it has to lead to a change in behavior. And if the behavior doesn't change, then I would start to question the belief. If the behavior doesn't change, I would start to question the belief. Because if I truly Truly believed that I was sent here. Then Acts chapter 17, verse six, the same thing was said about the apostles be said about us. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. That's, that's people who believe. That's people whose faith is that God sent me, is that God sent his son, rose from the dead, sent his disciples who sent their disciples who are now sending me. And those people turn the world upside down And I think that not only can be us, I think that should be us. And I think if it's not us, something might be off in our faith. So here's what we're gonna do in this series. This series called World Changers is based on this verse. What we're gonna do is we're gonna see truly, if we have this kind of faith, a true faith in the resurrection of Christ, which again, we all have up here, the mental acknowledgement, that's why you're here what that should lead to as far as my behavior. And specifically, practically, we'll talk about three areas, okay? And I'll kind of go over them quickly right now and then we'll spend a little bit more time in the coming weeks. I think that true world-changing faith will lead to three specific areas where you should see a difference in your behavior. I think faith should lead to enlarging of my prayers, shaping of my words, and challenging of my obedience. It should change the way I pray. It should change the way I speak. It should challenge the way I obey God and his commandments. I'll go through them quickly. And then, like I said, we'll spend more time on them in the coming weeks. Let's start with prayers. If we're honest, if we're honest, it is hard to tell. If someone came down from another planet and didn't know anything about the way you believed and just listened to your prayers, what would they think about your faith? If we're honest, for most of us, if they just heard my prayers, they didn't ask me what I believe. They just heard my prayers. They just heard your prayers. They would think we believe in a God who is like a magic genie or a good luck charm or kind of like Santa Claus? That's what they would believe because many, most of our prayers, if we're honest, our prayers are, please God, don't let me get a ticket right now. I just passed by the cop going too fast. Please God, don't let me get a ticket. They would think, okay, God is a like get our outer of tickets. And they'd hear us say things like, please God, don't let me, uh, I, this, this, I'm, I'm sick. Please let me get over this cold by whatever day because I have a busy day at work. They think God is just, Some kind of like, okay, problem solver, something like that. How about this one? We're all guilty of this. How many times when we pray for others, we simply say, God, be with us, be with them. I started to think to myself one time, God, be with me. God, be with me. God, be with me. What do you think God's response is to please be with me? What do you think his response is? Yeah, I am. No, God, I need you to be with me today. Okay. Check. What do you want me to do while I'm there? Like, I'm the God of the universe. Challenge me a little bit. Like, like, what is it that you want? This is why something that I started several years ago, which I think is very important. I write out my prayers. I try to pray every day in writing because what I discovered is that when I'm praying verbally, it ends up being a lot of God be with me. God bless this. God's kind of like, I'm already with you. I've already blessed it. Okay, so it's like pretty much check, check, check. But for some of us, that's as big as we pray. But if we truly had the faith that the creator, like you saw St. Peter's prayers, that this guy would rise up and walk, true faith will lead to a change in our prayers. Second, our words. Okay, Father Abraham, I'm gonna talk about this next week. That the one who truly believes, you see this in the book of Acts, it changes the way we speak from shyness and timidness to boldness. The one who has the true faith isn't worried so much about offending people. They're more worried about losing people. And they're more worried about losing opportunities. Again, we'll talk about this next week. The last one, challenge my obedience. The one who has true faith, again, like the apostles, would say, we must obey God rather than men. And the one who has this faith, willing to die, willing to die to avoid disobeying God. And if we're honest, let's be honest. This is a far cry from how we live today. For many of us today, we obey as long as it's comfortable and as long as it's easy, okay? And we're willing to like stretch like a plus one. It's like, this is my comfort zone. God, I'm willing to obey plus one. But that's not the world changing faith and the world changing obedience. That's the obedience that's willing to go all the way to the end. That's what we saw with them, the way they gave their lives. My hope in this series is we examine our faith and we challenge ourselves to see if we truly believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ if we truly believe what St. Peter believed, if we truly believe what St. John believed, then our behavior has to manifest it in some way. So that's where we're going in this series. But before we get there, okay, what I want to do now for the rest of the time that we have together, I want to go back to that story that we just looked at from Acts chapter three and four of when St. Peter told the guy to rise up and walk. And I want to look at just one verse that tells us what this faith looks like and what it can do for us. Okay, I want to go back to one verse from that story. After St. Peter told the guy, rise and walk, they put him on trial. He said, it's you guys, okay, who are crucified him, and you guys are wrong, and, and, and you guys are bad, and he said all that. There's one verse, okay, verse 13 in Acts chapter four, which is such a powerful verse. I want to pick up three lessons from this verse. Here's what it says. It says, now when they, they being like the bad guys, the Sanhedrin, when the Sanhedrin saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus i think this verse teaches us three important characteristics of faith three things that should characterize the faith that's inside of us the first thing is ordinary people can have world-changing faith ordinary people can have world-changing faith no experience necessary no qualifications like, don't say to yourself, like I'm sitting here talking about this faith and the faith of Peter and John, and you're sitting there saying to yourself, I'm just, and then you fill in the blank of whatever it is that you are. I'm just a kid. I'm just a mom. I'm, I'm just a nobody. Like, I just came in off the street. Like, I've been here for 15 minutes, Father. And it's like, I don't know about any of this stuff. I I make lots of mistakes. Like, I got flaws. Like, sometimes I don't know what to believe. So with all due respect, like, Yeah, Peter, John, the greats. But come on, like, that's, that's a series for somebody else. Like, that's, that's a, this is a great series, Father Anthony, about faith. But it's really not for me. Because I'm, I'm, I'm at like the, the, the first grade, second grade level. You know who else was at the first grade, second grade level? The disciples. Never say to yourself, I'm just a, and fill in the blank. Because you know the disciples? They were more ordinary than you can possibly imagine. And I'll prove it to you. The author of the book of Acts is St. Luke, who knew them intimately. And he's writing this narrative. And when he said in that verse, they were uneducated and untrained men. Uneducated and untrained men. is kind of an insult, but you'll see how much it is. The word untrained men is the Greek word idiotes. It's the Greek word what? Idiotes. Now, I never studied Greek. I'm not a scholar in multiple languages, but I'm smart enough to figure out what idiotes means. It means idiots. So at St. Luke, okay, those who translated the, 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 the New Testament were very polite. They said uneducated and untrained. And some say ignorant men, like some of the older translations. They were very polite. You know what Luke is saying, literally? Luke's saying they couldn't believe the boldness of these idiots. That's what Luke is saying. When they heard these guys speak, they couldn't believe the boldness of these idiots. Because the message is clear. The message is clear. If you're perfect and you don't make mistakes and you are the smartest in the class and you are the top of the line on everything, I'm sure God can use you in some way, shape or form. I'm sure he can. <laughs> but his specialty is not using idiots. he have been using this idiot for 44 years and I hope that he has many more years to come to use this one right here that's his specialty. First Corinthians chapter one verse twenty-six. Saint Paul says, "For you see, you're calling brethren that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Imagine the Corinthians reading this. This is kind of offensive. I'm writing a letter to you, the Church of Leesburg, and I'm saying, you know, none of you are that smart, none of you are that great, none of you are that noble." God chose the idiotes of the world to do something great. And like, is kind of offensive, but that's how God works. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. God loves taking people that others overlook. God loves taking people that don't shine naturally on their own, that don't have the skill set or the experience. God loves taking them and making something great out of them. And if you don't believe me, just look at the disciples. Look at the 12 guys who Jesus chose, each one by, by their name. They weren't anything fancy. Some were fishermen. Some were shepherds. Some were like politically lined up with the government. Some were anarchists. And you look at them. They were all kind of cast-offs. They had tax, like they were, they, they were, you know the story of the land of the misfit toys? That was these guys. And then it got even weirder when you added some of the fringe people. You added the Samaritan woman, the one that no one wanted to talk to. And then let's see, what are we missing? We're missing a, a person who was demon-possessed by seven demons. Let's add her, Mary Magdalene. So really, they, 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 they were the bad news bears. They were an odd bunch. But Jesus looked at them and said, this odd bunch, that's my team. That's my crew. That's perfect. We need one of those. I think he says the same thing about everyone here today. You say, "Well, I can't." And he says, "No, we need you. We need one of you. We need one of you. That's the body of Christ." Whenever you say it can't be me, I'm just an ordinary blank. You know, when you say that, you're not limiting yourself. You're limiting God. You're not criti- you're not you're not insulting yourself. You're insulting God when you say God can't use you because you're or whatever. It's not an offense to you. It's an offense to the one who made you. I think you can have world-changing faith as well. What would that look like? I can't be St. Peter. I can't speak. Okay, let me give you some examples of world-changing faith. May not seem world-changing, but it might be. Let's say you're at lunch at the office, okay? And the office is full of politics and full of drama and full of gossip. You know how it is. And everyone is there gossiping. And someone asks you your opinion on the subject. And you simply say, you know what? I think we should change the subject and you change the subject. And you say, what's the big deal about that? Well, I'm telling you, you know this because if it wasn't as hard, you you would do this more often. That takes courage, that takes faith, and that faith may start a revolution in your office. And I know people that it has. A simple statement like that can start a revolution in your office. Let's say you're single. You love God with with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you desire nothing more than to serve him all the days of your life, but you're starting to get worried and you're starting to wonder. Is Mr. Wright ever going to walk through those doors? Or Miss Wright ever going to walk through those doors? Or if they walk through, are they going to stay this time? They never stay. They walk in and they walk out the back door. But is it ever going to change? And you will be tempted to change the way that you dress, to change the way that you speak, to change the way that you behave. You'll be tempted to change your morals. But faith, world-changing faith says, no, I will stand with God. I will stand by my morals. I will do what God commands me. And I will trust that he will provide. And I'm telling you, that act of faith could change the world could change a family tree, could change your children and their children's children by that act of faith. You say times are tight financially. And I don't know if I can continue to give and I wanna give and I wanna be generous, but I don't know if I can. And then you say, you know what? Faith, world-changing faith. We're gonna give before we buy anything for ourselves. We are gonna give. That's gonna be our number one thing. We will never, ever, ever come near this idea of we give to God what belongs to God. We give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. We give to God what belongs to God. We'll never come near that. And I'm telling you that act of faith, may open the floodgates of blessing in your life and that may change your world and the rest of the world around you. You never know. Faith isn't just belief. Faith is behavior born out of belief and it is available even to idiotes like us. And every time you come to church and see me, you have a reminder of that, okay? Okay. That's number one. Ordinary people can have extraordinary world-changing faith. Number two, world-changing faith will make people take notice. World-changing faith will make people take notice. It said in this, in the scripture, when they saw their faith, they marveled. Imagine that you are in a courthouse. Okay. And you're watching someone stand in front of a judge. And the judge says, the person is talking about UFOs and they believe in UFOs and they saw a UFO. And the judge says to this person, if you say one more time that you saw a UFO, I'm going to hang you right here on the spot. If you say that you believe in UFOs and that you saw a UFO, I'm going to hang you on the spot. And then you saw that person stand up and boldly declare, I believe in UFOs. You would think to yourself one of two things. Number one, they are Little off, okay? Maybe a screw is loose or something like that. You would say, they're a little not in touch with reality. Or you would say what? They really believe that they saw a UFO. They really believe it. Whether they did or not, they really believe it. Like they're not messing around. Because you know what? When St. Peter and St. John stood in front of the Sanhedrin, and they said, Don't say this name ever again. We hate the name of Jesus. Do not preach in this name. A little piece of me, kind of cowardly, would have been like, okay, just kind of say it and then kind of go out and do it. And if they catch me, they catch me. But they said, no, we're willing to die. So either St. Peter and St. John, they got a problem, screws loose. Or they really believed it. And that's why it said when they saw their faith, They marveled. They were impressed. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time someone was impressed by your faith? When was the last time someone in your office, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your church, when was the last time someone was like, wow, that person really believes? That's impressive. And I know you're thinking to yourself, those people don't exist. But I'm telling you, I know people like that and it's not me and it's not a priest. I'm not thinking, I'm thinking of normal people, normal idiotes who sit in these chairs like, like, like you. I'm thinking of people who I know that that's a regular part of their life, that people see their faith, that not in a weird, creepy, like in your face, kind of a evangelism way, I'm not talking about it like that, but I'm talking about people who are filled with the light of Christ and the light, like if I put the sun, okay, the sun, S-U-N, in this room, you can't but see it. You can't. Like it's going to shine and it's going. Well, I'm telling you that Christ in us is brighter than the sun. Okay, He's the Son of righteousness. So what I'm saying is, people, if Christ in our life and that faith is in there, that it shines through. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter four five, verse fourteen. It says a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. That they may see your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. We are supposed to be filled with the light of Christ, and people should take notice. I'll tell you a story. One time, before I was a priest, when I was working as a, a IT consultant for a couple of years before priesthood, I only share this story not to say again that I'm anything great, but just you know, I would I just always rather tell a story about myself versus tell a story about you. It's not as nice, okay. Um, so I was working as an IT consultant and I was always like, I was just straight out of college. So I was like the young guy in the team. We were like six, seven people on the team. And I was just like the young, like, you know, like I'd like to have fun, like to, I wasn't the most career oriented guy. So I was just happy go lucky, enjoying my time. Everyone loved me because I was like the little brother on the team. And the one thing that people knew about me was that um, my favorite type of food my favorite type of food, some people like Italian food, some people like fast food, some people like, you know, Mexican food. They knew my favorite type of food was free, okay? That was my favorite type of food. And they knew that when there was free food, watch out, because I was all over it, okay? I had no standard of quality. I was just straight quantity at that point in time. That's the way I was, okay? I mean, I, like, they would go out to eat. I never go out to eat, I don't see the point of it. I would bring my lunch every day, I'd pack my... My mom would pack my lunch every day, okay, when I would, when I would come to work, okay. So they knew that I love to eat, and they knew that the food. So they knew that, like, whenever they would send that email of, like, there's donuts in the kitchen, when everyone would be thinking about it, boom, I would be over there, and I'd have, like, the plastic bag, and I'd be, like, you know what I mean, bringing it home and bringing it to everyone. Look, I got the donuts. And when there was, like, the staff meeting on Monday night, we'd put the leftovers in the kitchen on Tuesday morning. It was always the first one there on Tuesday morning after the staff meeting the night before. Like, They knew. They knew that someone said there's free and then fill in the blank, boom. I was like the first one there. And then came Wednesday when there was free food in the kitchen and they came and told me and I said, no, I'm good. They're like, okay. Maybe he's got a thing going on in his stomach. Okay, like everyone. And then Thursday, free food and I'm there. Here comes Friday, I'm good. They didn't get it. And this pattern kind of continued that they saw there was a noticeable difference in my eating behavior. I'm telling you what they told me. They noticed, I didn't say anything because I was the shy kid. They noticed there was a noticeable difference in my eating behavior. Not from like, uh, you know, like a, 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 a B to a B minus, like from like an A to like an F, from like a 100 to like a 60. Like there was a noticeable gap in my eating behavior when it came time on certain days. They thought that was weird. Now, forget about it. No one ever talked to me about that. No one ever said anything. When eventually I come to leave work and I'm gonna become a priest, so I resign. So I tell everyone I'm gonna resign, be a priest. And they're like, that's so weird. And I'm like, yeah, and I try to explain it. And they're like, but you're married. And I'm like, yeah, Catholic, yeah, it's a thing. So yeah, we explained all that. And they really respected that. And there was one girl who was probably, you know, five years older than me or something like that. She said, hey, can I talk to you? I said, sure. So she like, we one time like, Sat and like we talked, and she started asking me some questions. Some questions. We never discussed anything serious. But she came and said, "You know, my boyfriend and I are thinking of moving in together, and I want to know what you think." And I was like, "We'd never talked about any of this stuff before." So I'm like, "You really want to know what I think?" She's like, "Yeah, I really want to know what you think." I'm like, "I think it's the dumbest idea in the world." I'm like, "It's not even just a matter of like God's commandments." It's a matter of the, this, like the research is there. It'll tell you that those who move in before marriage, the likelihood of divorce is exponentially greater. I'm like, if you really want this relationship, like if you don't care about the relationship, go ahead, move in. But if you care, I think it's a horrible idea. But then I asked her, I said, just curious, why are you asking me this? Like you never, we never had any serious discussion. You know what she said? She pointed back to the fasting. She's like, I noticed the fasting thing. I was like, what do you mean? And she told me that she noticed it, the way I ate on Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday fasting, and then Thursday. So she's like, that's when I saw that you weren't, like, I'll give the abbreviation, okay? She, she, you weren't BSing your faith, okay? Again, she expanded on that. She said, that's when I saw that your faith was real and that you weren't just talking and you were, you really believed what you said. So my point in telling you that story is I didn't think I was doing anything great. I was just doing simply what I was told to do. But faith, behavior born out of belief, people notice it. And who right now is noticing your faith? Or from a negative perspective, who's not noticing your faith? Who's noticing your lack of faith? What may be little eyes around you or eyes or cubicles around you or people around you? know that you go to church on Sunday, hear what you say, but then may not see it. World-changing faith is available to ordinary people. World-changing faith will make people take notice. And if you say to yourself, Father Anthony, I'm not there yet, then I say to you, number three is exactly what you need to listen to today. World-changing faith comes simply from knowing Jesus. That's the root of it. You say, I don't have this kind of faith. I'm not there. And I say, that's fine the path to get there is time with Jesus. Because again, that's what it said about Peter and John. When it said they marveled because they were untrained men, it said when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were edu- uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. They knew Jesus. That's the source, is that time with him, that intimacy with him. Faith is behavior born out of belief. It's the belief that Jesus is alive that Jesus is with me and everywhere I go, every second of my day, He's with me. He's my companion. He's closer to me than my spouse. He's more with me than any, like He's with me more than this shirt is with me or that my, like He is with me. And I know that He's with me. And it's that belief, which leads to the marveling faith. It's that, that leads to the courage and the boldness. The courage and the boldness, be very clear. That's not the goal. That's a byproduct. The goal here isn't how to be courageous. The goal here isn't how to speak, but that's not the goal. The goal is how to know Jesus. And the more we know him, those things just come as the natural byproduct of. But they're not the goal. Think of it another way. Think of like an engaged couple. When an engaged couple and they're in love and they're talk about each other and look up at the sky and you know what I'm saying? And everyone, that engaged couple, all they do, all they do is think about each other and talk about each other and know about each other. I kind of want that to be me and Jesus. I kind of think that's how Peter was with Jesus. Like, I don't think, again, back to a dating example. Sometimes someone will come and say, I met this great guy. And I say, oh, that's great. You know, he's great and things like that. What does he do? But I don't really care what he does. What I want to know is one question. Is he a good guy? They say, yeah, he's a good guy. Everyone always says he's a good guy. Okay, then I ask the follow-up. Does he love Jesus? It was asked that question. Does he love Jesus? And you know what answer I don't want to hear? I don't want to hear, I don't know. It hasn't come up. If you don't know, you know. If you don't know, you know. Because the person that's in love, it, you got to spend a lot of time with the person to figure out what's important to that person. And that's the kind of faith that I'm talking about here today. I'm not talking about preaching. I'm not talking about evangelizing. I'm not talking about speaking on corners. What I'm talking about is a person who's so in love, who's so in love, and and nothing delights the heart more than to spend time with Jesus. That's the person. That's the person that's going to make an impact on this world because that's the person. The more time with, the more faith, the more boldness, the more courage, and then the inverse. The less time with, the less faith, the less courage, the more worry, the more anxiety, the more fear, like the root of it is the same. The time with Jesus. Do I ask you, give yourself a grade just in your head. Let's go one to 10. Put a a number on it just in your head. Where are you at? One, no faith whatsoever. That was Peter when he denied Christ. 10 is Peter when he stood boldly and said that you crucified the Lord of glory. Ask yourself, where's your faith? Where's your, not belief? I know your belief. I know your belief. King of glory rose from the dead on the third day. I know that. But where's your behavior born out of belief? And for those who say, I'm on the low end. I'm a two or a three. Then I say to you, good news. I got great news for you. You have a lot of upside potential, okay? What what if you're down at that lower end? Then I say to you, the work that God will do in your life as you climb the scale of faith—again, not just belief, but behavior born out of belief—the work that God will do, the blessing He will pour into your life, through the roof. Okay, because you've got a lot of upside to go. Our goal in this series in our life is to realize that as the Father sent the Son, the Son sent His disciples. Now it's our turn that we were sent here on a mission. We weren't just sent here. Like we never want to be a church that just cares about ourselves. We never want to be a church that just cares about ourselves. We never want to just be like, okay, what do my kids need? And what do I want? And what makes me comfortable? That's the death of any church. And that's a church that to be honest, that's a church that I don't want to be a part of. I don't want to be a part of a church that just cares about us. I want to be a part of a church where we say we are sent here for a reason. We're here to bring an ancient faith to a modern world. It's not about me. It's not about my kids. Of course, we love me and we love my kids. We want to be everything. But it's not just about us. It's about how God wants to use me. I'm an ambassador. I'm a tool. How God wants to use me to bring an ancient faith to a modern world. And step one is faith. And when we have the faith, the faith that's behavior born out of belief, the sky's the limit on what God will do. I want to conclude by showing you one of our church core values. I know we haven't talked about core values too much here in Leesburg, but we're gonna talk about it soon. But I wanna jump to my favorite of all the core values, which is right in the middle. It's the sixth one, six out of 10. And it says this, it's called Faith-Filled Vision. Let's read it all together, actually, because this is what you believe as a member of this church. Read it with me. We believe in a big God and we rely on him to do extraordinary things in our lives. We are not surprised when God does a miracle we are more surprised when he doesn't. Said another way, we never want to be a half-hearted church. We never want to be a half-hearted. We never want to be a country club, which is we get together, we share nice uh, refreshments, we tell nice stories, and then we go back to our comfortable lives. We're here on a mission and we need people here We're filled with this kind of faith, the kind of faith that we believe in a big God who is risen from the dead and he's with us and he is working and he has given me a chance to be part of his mission. He doesn't need me. Like he doesn't need this idiote or that idiote. He doesn't need any of us, but he gives us a chance to be part of it. God's saying, I'm going to do this work. You want to join the team? Pfft, sign me up. And that's why all of us are right here. And I'm telling you, the starting point is people who are so in love with Jesus, spend time with him in his word, desire to know him more and more. And I'm not saying perfect people because we all make mistakes, but people who believe that he brought me here for a reason. And know that we together collectively are here for a reason. And the source of our strength will be that time with him together. And if we are doing that, we have that world-changing faith, I promise you, the world around us won't know what hit it. It'll affect the way we speak. It'll affect the way we pray. And ultimately, it'll affect the way our lives are obedient to him and to his work. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we stand in front of you, Lord, and, and we acknowledge 100% that you are risen from the dead and that you are here with us, Lord, help us to, 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 to know that and to, to really live a life of, of faith. Give us that world-changing faith, Lord, that it's not just about us and not just about what we want, Lord, but that really can change the world. Give us to be able to spend time with you and to know you deeply and intimately, Lord, and use that to transform us into the people that can make a difference, Lord, not because we're great or anything like that, but because you are great and you are working through us. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and prayers of all your saints. Here, as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.